Welcome back to Best Hour of Their Day. On today's episode, we are talking about the principle of quarter extremity, that idea of quarter extremity movement, but also quarter extremity movement violations. We're going to dive specifically today into the importance of it and where to look in a handful of different movements. So, Fern, first question I have for you is, when were you first introduced to the concept of quarter extremity? The book definition of it at, at the level one course. However, physically introduced to it, probably day one as an athlete, like as a little kid, they just don't teach it that way. But when you teach any type of throwing mechanics, typically the first thing you're teaching most kids to do is probably jumping or throwing something, right? So throwing a football or baseball as a child and and learning how to do that. That's probably the first introduction for the vast majority of people like in their life to that concept. You just don't tell a child, this is quarter extremity. Make sure that you start at your midline and then that radiates out to your hand. Like you don't do it that way. Just like step, then throw. Don't throw, then step because then it's out of sequence. I mean, really, that's not that different from coaching adults, right? Someone walks into CrossFit for the first time. We're not saying i mean i would challenge anyone listening if you're saying quarter extremity you've, you've already gone messed wrong. up you've already <laughs> messed up <laughs> but, but I was you should again. you should uh, probably never ever use that phrase yeah the only way i would use that is at the end of class maybe if you say hey guys remember everything i just said that was quarter extremity movement patterns but i wouldn't be you shouldn't be running around the class like quarter extremity <laughs> technique <laughs> technique. Uh, the, so actually, this brings up a good point, and I think, yeah, at a recent level too. I was there was a coach who was who was doing a one on one. I think it was the one on one teach back, and I was sitting next to one of the participants who was watching, and I pointed out something that was well done by the coach, but seldom actually done in a class or in that environment, which was they were talking about the concept of active shoulders and what they said very briefly. And it, it was, it was almost kind of, um, it was subtle and probably nobody else picked up on it, but he basically said, all right, what I want you to do is I want you to extend your elbows and I want you to press your shoulders up towards your ears. That's active shoulders. So I leaned over to the coach and I said, that is an appropriate use of the term because he defined what it was. But if well, you're now, just saying active shoulders, that's different. So it's different if you are going to show everybody and then tell them that is the concept that we're talking about. I don't mean give a dissertation. I mean, just here's what it is. Here's what it's called. And then we move on. That's the end of it. Um, and, and typically people don't do that. They typically be like, all right, guys, active shoulders, active shoulders. So if you're going to do it, do it once. And then typically I want to go back to that more common verbiage. But if you're going to do it, typically I need to really define what it is that I'm talking about. So it's kind of like we talk about in the GHD lecture when we talk about vernacular. I can't just use terms without making sure that my athlete and I are on the same page about what those terms mean. Was that vernacular or vernacular? Uh, there is now a thing called vernacular. Um, <laughs> Thanks to Matt Spencer. I so, used it. I used some. Somebody else laughed at something I said yesterday because I used the term self-licking ice cream cone, and they got a real big kick out of that. What is a self-licking ice cream cone? 
I'll, I'll use it later and then I'll elaborate on to what it, what it is. Okay. But going back to what you said in that scenario, Hey, lock your elbows and press up. That's active shoulders. What I would also throw in there is there's no reason to say it. Hey, lock your elbows. Hey, press up. Do you I need would agree. your athletes to understand that concept? But you know, we don't need no, to no, you don't, that. It's, it's definitely not needed. I, all I'm illustrating is that if you're going to use it in a class setting when I'm working with athletes that is not in an educational environment, like the level one or the level two or something like that, that is really the only appropriate time to use the verbiage. Right, when you've taught it, when you've explained you, it. And now, now if for some reason later on I make a mistake and I say active shoulders, that cue is reminding you of something I've already taught you. Correct. So yes, I would agree with you. We should largely never use it. But the only time I'm like, it's, I'm, I'm okay with it because you defined it. But I would still say like you, like you, like you suggested, like you still don't need it. Like you still could have done that whole interaction without using the term core to extremity or active shoulder 100%. Yeah. So going back to it, you're right. As children, we all learn this idea of, of core to extremity movement pattern. Personally, I don't remember even getting taught how to th- throw a baseball in little league do you it's kind of like here's a ball that guy needs it get it to him right? well probably because they knew you were never going to play so like we're going to teach <laughs> this kid anything i'll tell you what i was very good at little league baseball i was i made the all-star team i was starting second base like you know through what seventh grade and then the, and then the ball just got too fast for me then i could no longer i, hit it. I figured you played left out no no I Meaning they left you out of the team. <laughs> I was pretty good at Little League. Once it got to that next level of Little League and then high school, I was out. Where we're actual athletic prowess is, is desired. <laughs> like, exactly. When you say you played Little League, it was just like everybody had to play. It was mandatory. And you're just like, yeah. listen, all right, Jay, it's your time. Get out there. It's second base. All right. <laughs> I was leadoff. I think I was leadoff just because I was small and I drew a lot of walks. But because um, your strike zone was one inch by one inch. Oh, yeah. I remember I got so many walks and then we played against this team. And I remember this kid's name, Joe Johnson. Fastballs right down the middle. I got struck out on like three pitches because I was so used to just taking those pitches. Never swinging the bat. You're just, <laughs> yeah. Got it. All right. <laughs> and then you're my the, coach was like, all right. You're you designated. You're the designated runner because you're small. Nobody could tag you. Yeah. And then he was like, you got to learn how to hit now. So anyway. You're right. The principle, you know, when we talk about quarter extremity at level ones, we're like, hey, if you throw a ball, if you throw a punch, that, that's really it. If you want to see what lack of quarter extremity looks like, it typically looks like, hey, throw it with your non-dominant side. And you see that error where your arm might fire before your hips or before you step, like you said. So let's talk about the importance of quarter extremity. The importance of it is that it's going to allow us to typically move more load or move it further, or move it faster any of those concepts what, what do you think about that yeah typically we're trying to teach people's power production so whether it's lifting weights or throwing a baseball faster or further or a football faster or further or a punch harder and and more timely that that's what it's all entailing <clears throat> it's all about power production so because that is sport Sport is largely predicated on your ability to produce power. You know, if you think about all the and, and the most athletic things we're going to find in sport involve pretty much two things. Rapid hip extension followed by rapid change of direction. So you think 
cutting in any sport, left, right, forward, backward, change of direction, forward, backward, laterally, all of that stuff. Um, the ability to jump, jump quickly, jump high, rapid hip extension, follow rapid change of direction. So that is, that is that principle. And what we can do is we can teach that absence of sport, right? Or what I would define as, you know, what we're trying to teach is physical competence. And we want to do that in a controlled environment. And because sport is full of unknowns, right? So the second I leave the, in the weight room, everything's known. I know the load. I know where it needs to go. It's going to be done in a controlled fashion, all of those things. The second I move on to the playing field, not only do I have to have physical competence, but I have to have physical competence in the presence of unknowns, meaning what is this other athlete going to do? Where is the ball or object going to go where I'm going to have to react off of that? So physical, if we don't have physical competence in a controlled environment, we definitely don't have it in an uncontrolled environment, which is exactly what sport is. Yeah. And, and like you're saying, there's not one sport I think someone can bring to us where hip extension doesn't play a vital role, whether it's shooting a basketball, throwing a baseball, shooting a, a double leg takedown in wrestling, uh, you know, bocce ball, bocce ball, throwing a, a golf swing, a tennis serve. It's all rapid hip extension. And and you're right, it's all then change of directions. And in the CrossFit space, it typically looks like open up your hips and then drop down or, you know, a box jump where you're landing or, you know, going overhead and, and where your finishing position is. But you're right, it's all about, hey, how how fast can you open those hips and, and, and then how fast can you change directions? And this, this is typically where if you can teach athletes this at a young age, <clears throat> they'll have significant advantage significant advantage so young athletes that have learned how to jump and learn where their center of gravity is and and how to appropriately appropriately change direction at speed which involves hip extension and rapid change of direction they are head and shoulders above everybody else because most typically athletes will not learn that until uh, a later age the one sport that basically gives kids um is is like gymnastics that's required right? Like every movement, whether if I'm doing floor, if I'm on the rings, if I'm on the parallel bars or the uneven bars, all of those things are going to involve hip extension in order to get a kip swing, in order to do any sort of skill or skill transfer. They're all there. So typically gymnastics will teach that right out of the gate. All the other sports, you to some degree have to teach it independently of the sport first, but Gymnastics kind of like that is fundamental to the sport. Like you can't, you really can't do gymnastics if you don't understand that concept. I could get away with it in other sports without really having mastered the skill. Um, and, and you can mask it in certain ways. But yeah, and if you, and there's little things where we all kind of let this go. So there's the obvious ones of moving a barbell. We all understand that every, everybody's probably heard the term hips than hands, right? If I'm doing a snatch or a kettlebell swing or a clean and jerk or something like that, or even a, a kipping pull-up, I want the hips to extend and then that would hand off to the hands. Whether it's a push or a pull, it doesn't matter, but it needs to go in that sequence. Hips, hands, or realistically hips, ha hips, shoulder, hands, depending on what we're talking about, and then go from there. Um, if you've not seen, we posted a, um, a clip on social media on Instagram the other day about the box jump. And if you haven't watched the recent episode of Dropping In with Briar Creek, that is one of the things that I address in there was CrossFit is notorious and to some degree rightfully does get a lot of criticism with regard to the box jump. 
because people have to some degree bastardized it. And I don't mean like CrossFit Inc. I mean like CrossFit affiliates because they let people jump without actually opening their hip because they just, they remove the actual concept and the, and the real purpose of plyometrics, which is where box jumps came from for sports specific athletes. And it now just becomes task accomplishment. I just need you to get on top of the box. To some degree, I don't really care how you do it. Because box jumps are typically not used as a conditioning tool. It can be a great conditioning tool. They're typically used for that development of explosive hip extension. Right? That is typically where you will see plyometrics used in a traditional strength and conditioning setting. And it's typically low volume, controlled, in order to maximize power production, whether it's for height or distance, if I'm thinking about a broad jump or a max height box jump or a bounding um, jump where I come off of a box and then turn that into a broad jump. So there's a lot of different ways you can do that. But in a lot of instances, we've, we've to some degree misused the box jump. And the reason that's important is because, I mean, let's just throw, you're good at, you're good at just throwing out super random obnoxiously ridiculous numbers how many box jumps does the average person get in a crossfit gym are you referring to how many boxes how many box jumps does someone do in a given workout no like say the average crossfitter who's doing crossfit for 12 months would do x number of box jumps um 500 that's ridiculously low you think so yeah how many times have you done 50 box jumps in a workout well, every time you do filthy fifties, you're doing fifty bucks. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In a year, one year. Thousands. Thousands. Okay. I love how you're right about this answer, even though it's a completely arbitrary number. But I love how you're you're right. I'm wrong. You remember Bird's yesterday? Right. You remember the other day when you said like, <laughs> "Let's get that on recording." Yeah, you guys remember that. No, but again, like, look at look at the average program in any gym and you're bound to have box jumps in there two to three times a month. And I would be willing to bet that the number is a minimum of 50 total. Yeah. And, and I mean, the reason you typically see a high number of those is they're not super taxing. They're unweighted, but I agree with everything you're saying. And as someone that coached plyometrics prior to CrossFit, every movement that you put in there, I coached, but never with that understanding of the ideas were developing hip extension. And again, you know, that video that we posted on our social media, which is great. Um, it's true. The, and, and, and I think that can be said about a lot of movements. They become bastardized in the sense that they're task accomplishment. If somebody needs to take a, a stone over shoulder or a medicine ball clean to hit the points of performance, to hit the range of motion standards, you might not even need to open your hips. However, you're doing yourself and you're certainly doing your members a disservice by not requiring them to do that because I promise you, if someone that's been doing CrossFit less than a year doesn't open their hips on a med ball clean, they're also not doing it on the snatch and their clean and jerk. They're not, look, the Frasers and the Tias out there, they can short their hip extension on purpose to be faster, but then also very competently open their hips for their one rep max clean. Your members that's, can't do that. Yeah, that's different because in that scenario, I'm trying to gain competitive advantage. That's not what we're doing in the CrossFit gym. I'm, I'm training <clears throat> to have skill transfer. And the reason I brought up the box jump is because, okay, let's say in the course of a year, we have, let's say on average, you might get 150 box jump a month. It's about 1,800 box jumps a year. It's assuming you never jump one time outside of the gym. Let's just call it an even 2,000 times that you jump a year, including wanna, all of your warm-ups. 
I want to change my answer to 2000. Okay. I'm still right. <laughs> so, so, so let's say 2000, including, you know, all of your warmups, right? If you're not doing broad jumps in a warmup, all that stuff. So that's 2000 reps of poor movement. Yeah. And you know, poor movement and or opportunity lost. Then that's the point, right? Is if we're not looking at that hip extension in some of those kind of air quotes, less complex movements, but are actually where we train something like core to extremity, that it, those are all reps lost in the ability to train and emphasize proper mechanics. That's why we teach jump and land as the first portion of the push jerk, push jerk progression, absent of the barbell or your hands. And think about it. How many people do that correctly the first time? You're like, everybody just jump and land. And it's like nobody's jumped in their life. And then I say, listen, I want you to jump like you're going to try to dunk a basketball. And then all of a sudden, everybody does it correctly. Yeah. I mean, every time I, I begin the push jerk and I teach the jump and land, I try to preface it with like, hey, forget about the fact that we're building this push jerk. I don't, I know that you're going to, you know, weight is going to be that barrier to powerful hip extension, right? But I need you to jump as hard as you can. So when you have 225 on your shoulders, you're, you're still opening your hips up. And, and that really changes things. People tend to short their hip extension when really it's like, you know, give them a target. If you're getting someone that can't open their hips, you know, dangle a piece of PVC over their head, give them something to reach for and be like, jump and hit this. There's you know, there's $100 bills hanging from the ceiling. Grab them. That's what they yeah, need to be it's thinking like that about. commercial with the old guys walking around. He was like, oh, you almost had it. You almost yeah, had it. Exactly. But <laughs> So, it, so that's, know, the, that, that's, that's the point with it. That's, that's the importance of it, right, is the skill transfer because virtually every movement in CrossFit involves flexion or extension of the hip, unless it's a strict movement. It, and that's the re if you think frontal plane, which is that's you know again that imaginary line that's fixed. It's not like in the medical community where that rotates with the athlete. So it's a doorway, right? I'm standing in a door frame. That door frame is the frontal plane. Almost every movement in CrossFit could be done in a doorway. Meaning, I, mean, I don't mean like with a barbell, but like the movement could be done in a doorway. So if we think about that, that generally involves some sort of hip flexion into extension or or knee and hip flexion into extension. <clears throat> So the, like the importance of teaching that quarter term concept is uh, arguably invaluable because if I'm letting them slide on some of these other movements, I'm not going to pick it up where it becomes more pivotal to the movement. So if you think about the push jerk, for instance, in quarter extremity, the reason we're doing the push jerk at this point is typically because the loads are heavier, which means hip extension becomes more important because I need to use my hips, the bigger movers, before I use my hands because they're just stronger. And if you don't think you can get somebody a PR in the push jerk by teaching them how to jump more efficiently or more effectively or more powerfully, you're, you're probably fooling yourself. Yeah, and, and, and that's a very good reason that every time we're doing a movement that requires that, or I would say almost any warm up that you're throwing out there needs to include that movement pattern in there. And like, like we've said, it could be through box jumps so long as you're coaching it correctly, or it could be just simply break down the clean, break down the snatch and emphasize that 
squeezing your butt. Emphasize that jumping powerfully off the ground. Emphasizing pulling your shoulders back behind your hips, extending your knees. All of those just different methods to reinforce the concept of that quarter extremity movement pattern. And, and this is a concept that, again, we typically see people from a coaching standpoint. So let's look at this through the, through the lens of a coach. Not enough people are actually coaching movement during the warm-up. The warm-up is just an opportunity for me to BS and do all of those things. But those are the prime times to teach people these, these arguably simple concepts. And I say simple very hesitantly because they already actually know how to do them. Yeah, it's a simple, not easy, right? We all know how to stand at hip extension. And what I'm, and what I mean by that is, and this, uh, this is an example from a CDP where I was talking to um, Josh Melendez, who's who's actually been on the podcast, and 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 we talked about, and I think he actually mentioned it in that podcast during his warm up during the general warm up, he was having them do broad jump, <clears throat> he was just having them do the broad jump, and he wasn't saying anything, and I and I afterwards I said, why didn't you teach the broad jump? And it kind of caught him off guard, and because it typically does when you ask people that, he said, well, it's just a broad jump, and I said no, it's not just a broad jump, right? We can teach them how to get the hip extension and then how to land. I mean, there's two very pivotal things that happen there. If it's a two-foot takeoff and a two-foot landing for a broad jump, I need proper hip extension in order to jump properly. And then I want to see them land in a solid position. Hopefully, it looks, it looks like something like a squat where their weight is balanced about the foot. <coughs> Excuse me. Where their weight is balanced about the foot. So there's two concepts I can teach in something, again, air quotes, simple, like the broad jump that is going to have significant carryover to other movements. Um, and these are all the places. And you can do lateral hops as well. If you haven't seen, if you haven't trained athletes to do kind of like power lateral hops, which is like a, a pretty a pretty significant lateral hop, not just a short lateral hop, but like trying to really drive off of that back foot and then land. That's another place where I get to teach in order to do that well, <clears throat> you know. So, so let's let's take this episode on core to extremity, and let's kind of put a bow on it there. In the sense that we're talking about the importance of it. I want to have more episodes on how we teach it, how we see it, and how we correct it. But let's let's. I want to just take one last point of it and say, okay, what are you, some of the best ways we can get our athletes to understand it? in a simple, short, effective way, maybe in the warm-up or maybe as they're preparing in a more specific warm-up? I'm always a big proponent of just using things that athletes already know how to do because it takes, it takes a lot of the teaching aspect out of it and I can go right to the coaching. So again, we'll go to the, back to the push jerk because it's easy and that is actually already built into the progression. It starts with jumping, right? So jumping one of the more natural human movements that we all do is exactly that, right? It is inherently quarter extremity. And, and you'll see this violated in many, many different ways. Lack of hip extension, lack of knee extension, early ankle extension, like all of that stuff. And teaching people how to do that by simply bringing it back down to the most basic fundamental human movement of jumping typically will correct it. So if you were to ask anybody, regardless of their capacity to do a max height vertical jump, meaning jump up as high as you can and try to touch this target, virtually all of them would do it correctly. Because I, the, yeah. human, yeah, the human body is smarter than they are when they try to think about it. 
Yeah, and you know, for that same reason, it's I've always said this about women when it comes to CrossFit. You hand a woman a weight that's a little too heavy to push press, and they naturally do a push jerk. Where men, we try to muscle it. You know, we're we're not quite as smart as the opposite sex. But yeah, the same principle. It's like let's keep it simple, and and that if you get people jumping, whether you have an on ramp or a boot camp or whatever feeds them into your typical classes, you're going to have athletes that have a more competent, you know, there's still going to be faults. And we're going to talk in a future episode about seeing the faults and how we correct it. You're always going to have people that short their hip extension. Maybe they're now thinking too much about pulling under or it's heavy, whatever the case is, but get them jumping. And that's really the key to it. And this is obviously why one of the reasons why people with some athletic background perform better at some of these movements because they inherently understand that because, and they might not even know the concept, but if they inherently understand the significance and the advantage of hip drive of like whether I'm playing football, think about if you no lineman has ever won a battle off of the ball without explosive hip extension it doesn't matter nobody's ever gotten a double leg takedown without violent hip extension pretty hard to knock somebody out with a punch if you did it out of sequence you know what yeah I mean? I mean, I, as as people are listening i would challenge them you know next time you're watching a sport be it you know you're watching the ufc you're watching basketball you're watching baseball you're watching you know fern's highlight reel from division one basketball Whatever the case is. It's, re- it's really short. It's really short. <laughs> you know, I challenge you to look for that, look for that hip extension and, and you're, and you're, you're going to see it because you're going to see it everywhere. It, like you said, it's, it's, you know, it's not impossible, but it's impossible to accomplish that task at, at the elite level without doing it well. And to I, that I, point, no, I don't think that's an out. That's. This is where I'm going to say you. That's not an outlandish statement. Like you are not going to be good at a sport without. Again, like take anything, golf. Yeah. You're not going to be. You're not going to be able to get a long drive without understanding that con- that concept. Baseball. You're not going to be a good pitcher. You're not going to be able to throw the ball. Basketball. You can't jump or sprint quickly without understanding that concept. Football. Same thing. Like try try blocking another grown human being without understanding the concept of hip extension. You're going to get flat back real quick. So. It's just part of sport, like, and, and this is across all sports: field hockey, lacrosse, all of those things. It, it's it's everywhere. Um, and then again, it's one of these things where, like, depending on what you do for a living, you're gonna find it there too. You know, if like if you're working on a ranch or something like that, like try bailing and moving hay or roping cattle or any of those things without doing that stuff. Like, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna look the same, but the concept is still there, still intact. Yeah, I mean imagine you're at home and you got to put something on a top shelf and it's on the floor and it's heavy. You're going to open your hips powerfully to get that thing to your shoulders before you, you know, push press it by opening your hips again to get it overhead. So basically what we're telling you is quarter extremity is life and you need to understand that concept. We're going to continue this conversation with, you know, how we go about teaching it, how we go about seeing it and how we go about correcting it. But let's start right there. But the challenge is, as you teach people this, you cannot use the words quarter extremity. No, do not do that. Unless, if, you, if you say that, I want you to, at the bare minimum, imagine Jay running into your gym. And when he runs up to you, you look down at him. 
And I say down on purpose. <laughs> Impressed you look by down his stature and girth. <laughs> He, he runs in your gym with his short little legs and then he, you look down at him and he just says stop doing that and you listen to him and I turn around and sprint out <laughs> that's a good visual for everybody there you go so that's what happened now of course like, like Fern said though if you're like hey guys I'm telling you to jump I'm telling you to stand I'm telling you to do X, Y, and Z to get that core to extremity that's different but again I feel like that's a little gray. And some people listening, it's like, we need to keep it black and white. If you say it, I'm naked streaking at your gym and that's it. You're in trouble. Bring your green hat. The, um, I think you just came up with another shirt idea too. Quarter, extremity, quarter extremity is life. Yeah, I'm going to take 90% of the profits on that because you had nothing to do with it. I mean, so you're going to get one buck. <laughs> hey, based on all the pictures I'm seeing of people that got our do that just better shirt. I got an email, Matt. I still haven't gotten mine yet. Oh, I wear mine every day. I don't even Listen, know. guys, here's the deal, everybody. Everybody always messages us afterwards. Be like, I didn't get a shirt. I'm like, we put it out a million times again. Yeah. This is, we're trying, you guys are the members in the gym when we're like, pre-orders everybody and they're like okay 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 and then we order them everybody gets a shirt and then you're just like where's my shirt and i'm like it was a pre-order like, oh, I, I, but can no, i get I one didn't see it i didn't see I didn't, you didn't tell me about it okay actually here this is a good segue in, the, in there here's here's a little tactic for all you guys a go back and listen to the episode with matt on retail and doing pre-orders secondly if you want to double your pre-order sales Simply by doing that. So, A, you should be sending out emails, posting on social media and all that stuff and letting people know that. <clears throat> we, we've been doing this for the past, like, two weeks. Put a sign-up sheet, and after every class, just be like, hey, who wants a shirt? We're just going to order it for you. And people are like, yeah, I want one. Like, I've sold, like, 15 shirts in the past five classes simply by doing that. Because people are just not going to go as, as easy as you make it. They're not going to do it. So, do both. Some people, like, already ordered it. And everybody else, I'm like, you want one? And they're like, yeah, I want one. Put me down. Actually, put me down for two. And I'm like, done. And then let's be clear, you have their credit card on file. So you don't yeah, just go in there. I did just go in there and run it. What you would do is you would just charge them for it and then tell Matt to add those for Matt from forever fears to add those to the order. But I'm going to probably get at least 50 to 60% more orders on this one than I have in the past because I wasn't doing that. But so I agree anyway. with you. If, if you just, you know, whether you sugar water, Wattify, if you just slap it on the announcement section, people will look past it. Like one thing, I agree with you. If you have a whiteboard, you can write it there. So you should have a list of announcements that your coaches go over. My jujitsu school does this great. There's always a clipboard at the front of the class on the mats with a list of announcements. So regardless of who's teaching, how often they teach, how well they know what's going on, they just grab it and read it. And they grab it and read it. Yeah, but so what we've done is there's a clipboard and it's got a pictures of the shirt and then a sign up sheet underneath it. And then on the whiteboard, we hang another picture of the shirt. We tell people the order's there. And then at the end of the class, the coach is like, hey, if you have an order shirt, just tell me, give me your name. I'll take it right now. We'll do it for you. You don't have to do anything. Done. Perfect. So there you go. You got a whole conversation on quarter extremity. You get a little tip there on, on how to maximize your pre-order sales. That's what we do for here on best hour of their day. Listen, I don't know what you guys would want from us. This is, this is a lot. You're welcome. Yeah, we, you are welcome. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. And thanks again to our special guest. We appreciate all you guys do for us with Best Hour of Their Day when it comes to sharing our 
posts on Instagram, when it comes to subscribing to us on YouTube, when it comes to the constant feedback, we are grateful and we appreciate it. We are trying to build a community based on coaching development and becoming the best version of yourself. And it goes without saying that we couldn't do without all of you. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Season one of Dropping In is out. We are getting tremendous feedback and we'd love for you to check it out. Leave us a comment on there. Head over to our Instagram. Give us a follow. Like our pictures. Feel free to share anything that resonates with you. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or feedback for us, please don't hesitate. Email us best hour of their day at gmail.com. Thanks again. Until the next episode, we hope you've had the best hour of your day.